0: You've got your Bible turned to John chapter 16. Uh, actually, we might start uh, reading some of the text that we read last week. Um, but my question for you this week was: Were you hated this week? Were you hated this week? Did you receive some persecution? And if uh, and if you were missing last week, that's probably going to be a weird question to start with. Okay. But that was part of what we talked about last week—that the world is going to hate. Those who are in Christ Jesus, Jesus says, he said, if the world hates you, know that it hated me first. Don't be surprised that those who abide in Christ, those who abide in his word, those who prove it by bearing the fruit of obedience and bear witness to Christ, that those people will be hated. Last week, I tried to point out that there is a huge difference, a big difference between the world and the church the difference of night and day, the noonday sun and the dead of midnight. Those in Christ Jesus, those in abiding in him, abiding in his word, wholeheartedly loving and believing his word, holding fast to that word, bearing the fruit of obedience to that beautiful word, those true disciples, those true Christians, true branches of the vine, the children of God born of God, full of the Spirit of God, and like the Spirit, bearing witness to Christ, they will be a hated people by the world because the world hates Christ, the true vine. And so I tried to point out last week that there is a stark difference between the church, who Jesus calls the light of the world in Matthew chapter 5, and the world itself, those that are in utter darkness. Last week, I expressed some frustrations with uh, those who claim Christ, those who claim union with Christ, and in, in, uh, in particular, those in the leadership, churches who proclaim Christ, but yet disregard or attempt to deconstruct the calls to obedience in his beautiful word. Like I said, especially those in church leadership. Churches and leaders who, perhaps in an attempt to build a bridge with the world, They incorporate darkness into the church, worldly pursuits and worldly viewpoints, tickling the ears of the health and wealth false gospel or or maybe a false gospel that doesn't require death to self. To do what you like, to be who you are, claiming a more enlightened or woke or evolved view of Scripture, more enlightened and progressive view of God and what he meant when he spoke in his word when clearly it is in opposition to his holy, unchanging word itself. I pointed out last week that you see it, especially and most recently, and it's probably because the world just celebrated Pride Month. You see it in the way that some churches have, in uh, even whole denominations, have embraced anti-biblical views on sexuality and marriage claiming love and acceptance of someone, someone's identity, claiming it's light and enlightened thinking when really it's a huge scheme of the enemy of our souls. It's rebellion to the design of the great designer, and we're incorporating darkness into the church, which is light. The two are not compatible. These church leaders are deceived, and they're deceiving others. And then, when you actually love people, by doing the most loving thing, calling them to the real Christ, calling them to his actual words, that he is a great and loving God with a great and loving design for their lives as shown forth in Scripture, that their identity is supposed to be in Christ Jesus and in his design. And we as the church are to hold out that wonderful word of God and encourage everyone to bring their lives and their identities to Christ and in alignment with that word, that is the most loving thing a church could do. But when you do it, they'll hate you for it because they hated Christ. They'll hate you for it. They'll call you a bigoted, intolerant hate group attacking their identity. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when the world hates you. Don't be surprised when persecution comes your way. It is a beautiful and wonderful, it sounds weird to say it, beautiful and wonderful promise of Jesus. It is a fruit of abiding in him. It is a fruit of abiding in his word. It is a fruit of bearing that fruit of obedience. When you obey wholeheartedly his word, hold fast to it, the world will hate you. So our text today finishes that thought, probably rattles the disciples a little bit further, but then gives them great hope and encouragement of this great advantage of being in him and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So let's read our text today. Actually, let's go back. Let's read some of our text from last week as well. Go back to uh, John chapter 15. Let's start in verse 18. We're going to read then through chapter 16, which is our fresh text today. Verse 18 says, If the world hates you, Who sent me? If I had not come and spoke to them, they would not uh, have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my Father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and the Father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. Verse 26, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. What a beautiful picture there of a, of a triune God, right? The helper, the Holy Spirit's going to come. Father's going to send him in my name, this triune God we serve. Okay, here's our new text. Chapter 16, verse 1. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering a service to God. They will do these things because they have known the, not known the Father nor me, but I have said these things to you that when, the, when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I say that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Let's pray before we continue on. Father, again we come before you and I ask for humble hearts. I pray for fertile ground. As seed is sown, as seed is scattered, I pray that it would bear fruit in the lives of your people. As your word goes forth, God, I pray that you would wash us and cleanse us. That your Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us into the truth of you. That your Holy Spirit would convict us when our lives are out of line with your scriptures. That we would be humble, soft, and bold to repent and turn and to follow you. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. So most of us realize, uh, probably realize the way that Jesus' disciples, right? He's talking to his disciples here about persecution, about not falling away, about the helper coming to them, right? And most of us realize that the disciples were vastly and deeply and profoundly persecuted, they were ultimately killed. Most of them were actually martyred for the sake of Christ and the gospel, spreading the gospel. We've read about the horrific ways the, the Roman emperors like Nero and Domitian treated Christians. You go through the list. Peter, right? He's crucified upside down. Peter's brother Andrew was also crucified. James, killed by King Herod. Thomas, killed with spears. Bartholomew was said to have been whipped and then crucified. There's a story about Mark being dragged through the streets of Alexandria until he was dead. There's disciples that were stoned. Matthias, the one who replaced Judas, right? Like, Judas, he does his thing. He's the betrayer. Satan enters his heart. He does his thing. He ends up hanging himself. Matthias comes in to replace him as one of the twelve. What does Matthias get? Matthias gets burned to death. Even Paul, Right? He's the latecomer to the group, the one that Jesus came and met him on the road, one who he describes as least of the apostles. He was beheaded. John, the writer of our gospel, the writer of Revelation, he's one of the few who says, uh, who's. it's been said that has lived to an old age. But just to remind you, he was boiled in oil at one point and still lived. Okay? When you think of persecution— You often think of the disciples. Disciples being persecuted under the Jews, maybe under the Roman uh, emperors at that time who propped themselves up as gods to be worshipped. And thus their allegiance to Christ was treason and a threat to their rule. So when you think of persecution, you may think of right there the disciples being persecuted for Christ's sake. Maybe your mind goes to the reformers. In the 15th and 16th centuries, they stood against the abuses of the papacy, the Roman Catholic Church. These reformers stood against the corrupt practices and the corrupt theology uh, that was creeping into the church. Many of them like Czech reformer Jan Hus, or maybe you know the story of him, but he was burned at the stake. It's actually where we get the phrase, your goose is cooked, because in Czech, Hus H-U-S actually means goose. And so as they're burning this man for his stance, for his position, for his standing for the gospel, as they're burning him alive, dubbed as a heretic, your goose is cooked. Do you realize that persecution of the Christian church is still happening today and in fact is at an all-time high? At an all-time high, and this is is an old article by now, but 1997 in the New York Times, uh, it was reported that more Christians have died under persecution in the 20th century than in the first 19 centuries since the birth of Christ. Still happening at an all-time high, even now, um, Open Doors USA, great website, uh, there's Lots of reporting on persecution that is happening worldwide as the gospel goes forth. In the top 50 toughest countries to be a Christian alone, there are 312 million Christians experiencing high levels of persecution and discrimination in their desire to follow Christ. One in seven Christians worldwide experience high levels of persecution. Between October 2020 and September 2021, nearly... 5,900 Christians were killed for their faith in one year alone. During that same time, there were 5,100 churches and other Christian buildings attacked. During that same time period, over 4,700 believers were detained, arrested, or imprisoned without trial. Between October 2020 and September 2021, over 3,800 Christians were abducted for faith-related reasons reasons. So that's, that's now. That's happening right now in the world because of Christ, Christians being hated by the world. So back in Bible times, right, the ruling Jews would not, could not accept Christ Uh, Jesus as the Christ, right? They considered him a blasphemer. He was worthy of death as a blasphemer according to their law. It was right and true that someone who had claimed to be God was worthy of death. And so putting Christ to death was a justified service to God. Coincidentally, the Roman emperors at that time considered themselves gods, (laughs) They considered themselves gods, people to be worshipped. So killing Christians, those who didn't worship or serve the emperor, was seen in a way as a service to God. In the Reformers' day, in the 15th century, those who pointed out the abuses of the church, they were dubbed as heretics, and putting them to death was seen as a service to God. And today... Much of the persecution happening around the world comes from groups like, and and not exclusively, but groups like radical Muslims who believe that their actions are a service to God. D.A. Carson's commentary uh, on the book of John, it says, whether in the first century or in the 20th century, Christians have often discovered that the most dangerous oppression comes not from careless pagans, but from zealous adherence to religious faith. So do you see the sheer evil of our enemy Satan, the ruler of this world? Do you see the the danger of religion untethered to the word? It happened in Jesus' day, and it's happening today, just like Jesus promised. And so let's read uh, the beginning of John chapter 16 again. Verse 1, it says, I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogue. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering a service to God. They will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Here's a little side note, right? Being put out of the synagogue doesn't sound like that big of a deal, right? Finding a new church, finding a new place to worship, it's not like today, okay? It's not like, you know, there's a church on every other corner here in Lake Country. Like, this church doesn't work for you. Go down there. It, it's, it's unfortunate. It drives me nuts. But it's not like today. If you were put out of the synagogue as, as, a, as a good Jewish person, if you were put out of the synagogue, that was the center of life. That was the center of social life, social standing. It was the center of everything that happened, from schooling, all of it. So being put out of the synagogue was a big, 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 big deal. And he also says there's going to be a time coming when whoever kills you will think that he's offering a service to God. And I think we just looked at that. We just outlined that. That that's been happening from Jesus' day all the way to now. Let's continue reading on in verse 5. It says, But now I am going to him who sent me, And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged." I still have many things to say to you. I cannot bear to hear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he, de- and he will declare to you all the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So Jesus is telling these things. He's telling them that they won't, so that they won't fall away. And sorrow has filled their heart because he's told them that he's going away. That he, Remember, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that he's going away and they can't come with him, but he's actually going to prepare a place for them. And he's promising the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God who is going to come and not just be with them, but that is going to dwell within them. And here he's given them a little bit more of a picture of what this helper, what the Holy Spirit is actually going to do. And he's going to convict the world, and he's going to lead and guide his disciples. And he says that it's actually to their advantage that he goes so that he can send the helper. This text has always kind of baffled me. Not baffled me, like 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 it's just he, what could be better than walking with Jesus like could you imagine there's so many times in my life where i've thought man could you imagine being one of his disciples and hearing him preach could you imagine like seeing him show his love and compassion for the most outcast people of society Could you imagine seeing him perform miraculous signs? What could be better than seeing him in person heal the lame and the blind? What could be better than seeing with your own eyes him raise Lazarus from the dead? What could be better than that? Being indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God that's what. There were so many people who saw Jesus do all of that stuff, all of that stuff, and they still walked away from him. There there were those that saw him preach, saw him do signs, saw him do miracles, saw Lazarus come out of the grave with the grave clothes on, four days dead, too far gone, And they still didn't believe. That wasn't enough. They need, we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We must be born again and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. It's not just metaphor. It's reality that God himself indwells his people in the person of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said it's better. It's to their advantage that he leaves so that he could send this helper who won't just be with them but will be in them. It's better. It's a part of the plan. He's enough, and we're not lacking anything. Do you understand that? Like, it wouldn't be better to see all of that happen, to see the miracles, to see Lazarus, to be... It is to our advantage that we have the Holy Spirit of God active, empowering the church today. It's the only way the church is going to be the actual church. If not, we're just a Sunday Christian. I can't even say Christian. We're just a Sunday morning morality club. We need the power of God. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives. A little side note here, uh, something that I actually never really thought of before, um, but I read it in in Carson's commentary. When Jesus says that he must leave to send the Holy Spirit, it's not for some weird, unarticulated, metaphysical reason, like the two camp minister to God's people at the same time. It's not like your dad and, and Santa Claus never being in the same room together. Right? Because it's really like the same person. Like you never see dad and Santa Claus together. Dad's got to sneak away, right? And all of a sudden Santa Claus comes out kind of thing. And that's for some weird metaphysical reason. Like the Holy Spirit and Jesus are never in the same place ministering to God's people. To say, it don't, don't, don't let... It actually, if you have some of those thoughts, it could lead to some really, really strange heresies. Okay? Like modalism. Right? Like God shapeshifts and takes on different forms. Like in the Old Testament, right... You've got the Father, oh, and then now he, he, now he's in the form of Jesus, right? No, it's one God, Triune, three persons in one God. Instead, Carson points out in his commentary, the thought here is eschatological. Okay, that's just a fancy word for for like end times or last days. There are many biblical promises that show the outpouring of the Spirit will characterize the age of the kingdom of God or the last days or the end times. Texts like Isaiah chapter 11 or chapter 32 or chapter 42, 44, uh, Ezekiel 11, Ezekiel 36, Ezekiel 37, and of course, Joel chapter 2, who Peter, in his sermon at Pentecost, in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church, he quotes Joel 2, that the Holy Spirit would be poured out, that, that, that old men and young men, right, that there would be dreams, that there would be visions, and that they would be declaring the goodness and the, and the, and the promise of Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus says that Jesus is going to die, he's going to rise, he's going to be exalted and glorified, he's going to ascend back to heaven, and the Holy Spirit is going to come and initiate the last days empowered by the spirit of God, that the church would go forth and bear witness to Jesus and make disciples of all nations. When, when Jesus says, and, and we didn't even focus on it really in the last couple of chapters, but over the last couple of chapters, he's like, you're going to do greater things than these. A lot of people, they're like, okay, is that like greater miracles? Is that like greater, like greater uh, things we're going to see done, like amongst us? Like, and I don't know what's greater than Lazarus being raised from the dead. Like, I don't think there's anything great. Like, People raised from the dead. But I think what Jesus is getting is that you're going to do greater things than these because the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, God himself is going to live within the church. And they're going to go out and multiplication is going to happen. Peter preaches in the power of the Holy Spirit and thousands come in one day to Christ. That's greater. Thousands of people raised from dead, Okay. Once dead, lost in their sin, now alive in Christ Jesus. What a beautiful thing. So Jesus says that it's better that he goes so that he can send the Holy Spirit. And our translation today He's called the helper. He says that the helper is going to do a couple of things. And I mentioned it earlier. He's going to convict and he's going to guide. So look at verse 7 again. It says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. This is a difficult section of Scripture to completely understand. Even some of the brightest New Testament scholars today says that this is a difficult passage to understand. Exactly what is he getting at with those three different elements? Convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. And often the arguments start around that verb that is used as far as convicts. What does he mean by convicts? There are some debate over the full intended meaning of this word, but the Greek word that is used here is actually used 18 different times in the New Testament. And nearly every instance, the verb has to do with showing someone their sin and usually as a summons of repentance. So the Holy Spirit, the helper is going to come and he's going to convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. He's going to show them their sin and beautifully summon them to repentance. Some of you remember in your past life, remember remember your past life, remember when you were still lost? Do you remember those moments in your life where the Holy Spirit showed up and showed you your lostness? Like, you were maybe just in some moment of turmoil. Maybe you're going through something in particular, and it's like you realize you were just plain lost. Have you ever been actually lost? I was lost once. I, I actually told the kids this, my kids this story just a couple weeks ago. I got lost in the woods when I was about 16 years old hunting. Terrified. Like, knew, like, had no idea where I was. Terrifying. I love, I love, I love remembering those moments where the Holy Spirit found me. When you had those moments where all of a sudden you saw, you saw your sin for what it was. It was no longer sweet. It was no longer uh, awesome. It was no longer this beautiful, like, indulgence of freedom, but you saw the bitterness of it and the enslavery that was actually there in it. That's from the Holy Spirit. He showed you that. He convicts the world in regards to sin. When you realize that you were separated from God, both in your actions, yes, but also in your nature, that we have the sinful nature that needs to be reborn, remade. He convicts of sin shows us our separation, shows us our lostness, shows us our need, praise be to God. But he also convicts regarding righteousness, right? He convicts and he makes known, he shows the remedy, that the remedy is not in ourselves. There's so many different philosophies, so many different religions that are pointing to, you know what, all you need to do is look within yourself, Go within yourself, just dig deep, look within yourself. The answer is within yourself and it's hogwash, it's garbage, it's a lie from the enemy of our souls. The answer is not within us, the answer is in Christ. And the Holy Spirit convicts of righteousness. That when we look at our works, when we look at our, like, like it says in, uh, what is it, Isaiah chapter 64, right? That our works, our righteousness is what? Filthy rags. Not to be too graphic, but that has to do with a woman's menstrual cycle. That's our works, our righteousness. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of righteousness. Points to Jesus, our only righteousness, that by faith in him we are justified and made right before a holy God. There is no way we can stand before a holy God in our own merit. Even our best stuff is filthy rags, but thanks be to God, we have Christ who is our Redeemer, Christ who poured out his blood, who covers and atones for, makes us whiter than snow. He is our righteousness. By faith, he clothes us in his righteousness, and we thus are able to stand before a holy God with confidence, not because of me, because of he. The Holy Spirit, the helper, will come and convict the world with regards to righteousness. And also, judgment. Because the ruler of this world is already judged. He shows us the consequences, shows the world the consequences of rejecting the call, the bid to come to Christ, the bid to come and abide in Him and abide in His Word and bear that fruit of obedience. Those who are not in Christ Jesus, who did not bear the fruit of Christ Jesus, They are fruitless branches, are gathered and cast into the fire. It is judgment. The Holy Spirit, in His grace and in His mercy, in the way He compels us, convicts the world in regards to judgment. The Spirit convicts the world on those three things. He carries out the work of Christ because he comes and indwells the disciples, his people, this church, we too carry on the work of Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we abide in him, when we abide in his word, when we bear the fruit of obedience and boldly bear witness to Christ and his word, the world will hate us and kill us. So the Holy Spirit, the Helper, comes and convicts the world. But our text also says that he guides his disciples. Let's read our text again. John chapter 16, verse 12. It says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you, declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Sorry, I feel a little bit rushed right now. I gotta slow down. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I say that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's like, I got more to say, but you guys can't bear to hear it right now. Like it's about to get crazy. This is the night before he's arrested, and everything changes, everything gets rattled. The shepherd is struck, the sheep are going to scatter, they're going to be full of fear. The Holy Spirit's going to come and that fear is going to be eclipsed by power and boldness. It's going to be awesome. They can't see it yet, but he tells them the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to guide you into all truth, right? All the implications of Christ and his gospel, he's going to guide you into all of that truth. The Holy Spirit's going to come. The Helper's going to come and he's going to declare to you all the things that are to come. And, and there's different thoughts and different commentators on this. It's, uh, a lot of them say, it's, this is not uh, necessarily future telling. He's going to declare to you all the things. You guys are going to have special knowledge of all the things that are going to happen. No. But when it comes, you're going, to have, you're going to have understanding. You're going to understand that what is unfolding, what it's truly all about. You're going to be able to make sense of all that's about to happen. Christ's death, his resurrection, his exaltation, and living for his return. You're going to have spe- you're going to, it's going to all make sense. He says, when the Helper comes, he's going to glorify me. This is beautiful. This is beautiful. This beautiful triune God that we have, that the Spirit's going to come and glorify Christ. When the Spirit of God comes over his church, it's not just about gifts. It's not just about miracles. It's not just, it's about the glory of Christ. Okay? And I'm all, about, I'm all about the gifts of the church, that the gifts of the Holy Spirit poured out on the church. It is all for the edification of the church and the glory of Christ Jesus. It's beautiful. He also says that the helper is going to come and take what is mine and declare to you. Again, this beautiful unity, never a contradiction between what the Holy Spirit of God is doing and what Jesus has declared. The Holy Spirit is going to continue the work of Jesus, and he's going to do it through his people, through his church. Like I've said it before, it baffles me that God's plan for the salvation of the world was this group of yahoos, that us, a bunch of broken people, a bunch of people like, I don't know about you, but some days I'm just trying to keep it all together. But he's given me a spirit. He's given me the helper. He's given me himself to live within me, to lead me and guide me. And as I live in this purpose, in my calling, if you're called by Christ, you have this beautiful calling to declare the glory of Christ in the power of the Spirit. And when you do that, the world will be convicted of sin, righteousness, and judgment. It's beautiful. It's beautiful how this works. And it's his plan. And so today, as we wrap up, I'm going to ask Nate to come In the band, we're going to worship together in just a few minutes. Anybody in the room need help? Help for living for Jesus? Anyone need help and power to not fall into sin again? Anyone need help and conviction to see the evil of your sin and the glory of Christ, to behold him and to cherish him above all the traps of this world? Anyone need help? to walk in righteousness. Does anyone need help in knowing and understanding and loving the truth of Jesus Christ? Does anyone need help and power and boldness to witness? Does anyone need a helper? I need a helper. I need a helper. And God has given us the helper, the Holy Spirit of God himself. Today, call upon him. Today in our response time here, spend some time confessing. Confessing, yes, maybe sin, but confessing your need of Him. That's That right there, right? A lot of times we like to think we got it together. You got to think that we own strength, my own might, my own determination. Ugh. Becomes work then. Becomes a burden then. Doesn't feel easy and light. Jesus took it all, gave us his power in the Holy Spirit to truly live as the church of Jesus Christ. Let's call in the helper today. And let's respond to him. I'm going to pray. We'll stand, we'll sing for a bit. And then actually probably what we'll do is we'll probably do a soft dismissal. Um, and if you want to stay longer and worship and pray, maybe have someone pray over you. If you would like me to pray, I'd love to pray for you come find me. I'll be up here towards the front somewhere. I'd love to pray for you. Your community group leaders are probably in the room. They'd love to pray with you. Let's continue to ask for help from the helper to be empowered by his spirit so we can be the church to the glory of his name. Father, again, we thank you. Praise you. We don't lack, we lack nothing. We lack nothing because you have promised the helper you've promised your spirit to be alive in us so God help us to not walk in our flesh but God to walk by your spirit to acknowledge you to submit ourselves to you to ask you to fill us further with your spirit so that we might truly live to the glory of your name not just a Sunday Christian club a vibrant, bold, and powerful church bearing witness to the glorious name of Christ. God, in this place today, draw us close. Draw us near. Fill us with you. Fill us with your spirit, I pray. pray for soft hearts I pray for spiritual appetites pray for hunger pray God that we would tarry that we would be patient we would press in we would know that you are worth it. That spending time in your presence is worth it. To be filled with you is glorious. So God, let us just press into your presence. Let us be soft so that you can do your work in us. Again, that we might be your church. To the glory of your name we love you we thank you In jesus name let's stand let's sing together